Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. This is a special episode <laughs> interviewing uh, Kunal Chopra, the, the new Beckett CEO. It seems strange for me to be saying that, but I was the original, but uh, I am no longer. I'm just a private citizen, but a fan also of Beckett Media. I want him to do well, and I enjoyed uh, getting to know uh, Kunal, hearing about his background and about his plans and goals. A very sharp guy. I hope you'll enjoy this interview. Thanks, sponsors. Obviously, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication, ComC.com, Burbank Sports Cards, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Heritage Auctions, Huggins and Scott Auctions, Tops, Panini, and Upper Deck. It's a tough job to be CEO, but somebody's got to do it. I did it. Each person in the seat brings their competencies and skills and interests. Were you very involved in the decision to greatly expand the footprint? I think it's the right move. We are certainly running out of space in the current office. It's also not very conducive to the grader and the authentication workflow in terms of the layout and being very efficient. There's certainly no other place for technologists and customer service and sales as those teams are also building and growing. But especially on the grading side, we certainly want to hire more graders and there's just no space for them right now. So we're running out of space, which is, I guess, a good problem to have. Plus, if you're going to have a vault, you've got to have a vault. That has to be custom fit. There's no room for that. And the other thing I wanted to get into with you is I think corporate culture is a big deal to you as it was to me. I don't think you're coming in for a turnaround as much as you're coming in to take it to the next level. Correct. I think the corporate culture could use a shot in the arm and the new building and the new footprint, I think, is generally very positive. You're giving people space to enjoy their work. Yes. Yeah. One of the things that I want to do certainly with the company a lot more is I'm a big fan in just engaging employees a lot more. We've got a great mission. We've got a long-term vision that we've set out, but we don't have any values in the company right now. No leadership principles, I like to call them, but they're not part of the culture yet. We don't have employee town halls. We've started doing all company meetings. So just things like that, uh, giving back days, bringing your kids to work days, celebrating with your employees, both on on the positive side, Uh, things like that are just not happening right now. Once we have this new space, there's an opportunity to interact with employees and for the employees to interact with each other as well, a lot better than what we have today. So I'm with you. I tried to do that too. And it's one thing for the leader to encourage that and emphasize that, but there's some silent leadership inside the company that have been there for a while. And if you enlist their support, which I, I think I did, and they just make it easier for it to happen. People that were negative did not do very well in our company because they just didn't fit in. We wanted positive attitude, can do, people with integrity. And I'm sure you want the same thing. 100%. And I've seen that, Jim, to your point. In some folks in the company, they want to do more. They love this space. They love the industry. They love the hobby, no doubt about it. They're passionate collectors. And at some level, they, they want to contribute more. I think giving them some direction, giving them some goals, some targets, and then just letting them loose and just empowering them to drive, I think you'll see a lot out of them, in my view. I hope so. People said, boy, you came up with a lot of good ideas, but the the people come up with the ideas. I think in many cases, I was the person that would select the idea or two that we would try. We just had so many things back in the day that were not technologically ripe. I think you're going to be excellent at figuring out this is doable. This is the timeline. We're not ahead of the curve. We're just on time for delivering this new technology applied to our field. And it's ripe for that. I think so. I think the industry is at an inflection point at some level. And the timing is right, like you said. I don't think we'll ever get to a space, at least in the immediate run, 
where we're going to replace graders or authenticators. Like that is never the goal. It's the enhancement of those functions through the use of technology. And of course, that's one piece of it. But then also just the experience for customers on the front end, whether they're using a betterbeckett.com website or they're using a platform to manage their collection of alternative investments and being able to see pricing effectively and see where the market's going and price their portfolio out and stuff like that engagement model of the community coming together and consuming content and sharing content. And I think all those pieces are where technology can really help in bringing the community together, but then also improving the service we offer to our customers through the grading and authentication workflows. What about the price guide area? And that was my original claim to fame, I think. The cataloging and the yes. pricing is, I think, our market leadership in those areas has been eroded, partly because just people do things differently now. But do you see that as a growth area? Not just the grading and authentication, which I think is has huge potential and already doing well, but I think the price guide and cataloging is something that's near and dear to my heart. What do you see there? That is where we are putting a lot of our attention. We want to rejigger the price guide. One of the biggest assets that Beckett has always had has been its pricing catalog, the most comprehensive catalogs out there on the market. And we've got OPG, the online price guide today. So we are bringing all that data into a completely new platform that we will serve to our customers in a very simplified pricing model going forward in the form of OPG, but then also enhance that with other alternative assets. So we're introducing comic pricing soon and other categories as well. But pricing is going to be a key driver of some of our growth plans. It's a big investment we are making. And that, of course, combined with our grading and authentication and just giving our collectors a complete package of all the products and services that they need to manage their portfolio is our future. But pricing is going to be a key part of that in a subscriptions-like model. And when I started, I don't think this was invented because it came in with the dot-com stuff. And that is you get the eyeballs first and then you get the revenue second. I think we really tried to make sure we had a market share that was dominant yeah. and that we could increase the price as we went. But do you espouse that or do you feel like you need to have a good high margin products for some of these? It's not about trying to compete on price. My general view is you add value and then you share in the value with your customers. So it really comes down to how much value are we creating for our collectors and for that community as a whole. And the more we can prove that value to them, I'm sure they'll be more than willing to pay for that value. And we keep a small portion of the value that we are creating. So that's how we look at it. We're not trying to be the low price leader or trying to compete on price and and try to be a more commoditized product out there. Our general view is we've got a great asset in our data. We're going to continue to enhance that. We're going to create value for the customers. They're going to see value in the data, in the products and services that we offer. And I'm sure they'll be willing to pay for that value. And then when you do the math that way, it comes out to be a more high margin product from that perspective. Yes. I hope so. I've given away some of my management tips, but love it. my margin products will cover a multitude of sins. <laughs> a lot of mess ups can be covered over with healthy sales of high margin products. If yeah. you're thin margins, if you're a grocery store and exactly. you have some spoilage, you're, you've got a bad month or a bad year. Exactly. Right. And to my point, it just comes back to if you are creating value, people are willing to pay for it. 
If you take it a step further, it comes down to are you solving problems for customers, which is really the fundamentals of a business, right? At the end of the day, going back to first principles, business value creation, are you solving a true customer problem? And if you can solve it in a very innovative way, creating value for them, they're willing to pay for it, you tend to get a high margin product. Let me ask you about your leadership team, because you're coming in, you're the CEO. I was the CEO. I had a couple of presidents under me that were in charge of certain things. Yeah, You're coming into an existing hierarchy there, but are you shaping your own leadership team or are you stepping into something and how is it structured under you, Kanal? A little bit of a mix between what exists today and then what I plan to do with the company. I've created a leadership structure that is a little more traditional in nature, having more on the go-to-market side, having someone on the people side, having our technology leadership team and a CTO, a chief product officer, designers, and then having our sort of operations and having a president over that. So a little more traditional in the value chain, aligning it back to what the value chain of the business is. So I think everyone knows Jeremy, you've worked with him. He's going to be our president and he's going to drive everything operations and just keep the business running all the time. But then we're going to enhance that leadership team with some of these other roles that will either come through acquisitions that we're making or with just hiring from the market directly. So slight change in the leadership structure overall, but uh, following a little more traditional sort of technology company leadership structure, but also keeping the sense of what existed alive. Again, back in my regime, I think I had a bias against acquiring and a bias in favor of starting. Of course, they were yeah. different day and time, yeah. but there are so many startups out there now yeah. that are being started up with the idea that they want to be acquired yeah. and they want to be acquired by someone that has the ability to really bring them to market. So my guess is it's a target-rich environment for you where it wasn't 25 years ago. If we wanted to do some, we basically did it ourselves. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The startups in the collectible space over the last few years have certainly grown in number. And they face a challenge, which is how do we go to market in a big way? How do we create the right strategic partnerships? How do we get the big customer base? How do we expand our reach? And by partnering with a company like a Beckett, for example, we solve their problem. And then we get access to their technology, their team, hiring, et cetera. So it's a win-win and the technology which we would have built in-house is, you know, is getting built out there. So it might make sense for us in selective cases to bring them on board. But yeah, there are certainly opportunities. One thing I've seen, Jim, is maybe you've noticed this too, is just over the last couple of years since COVID hit and some of the expansion started happening in the collectible spaces, just the amount of investment that has come into this industry has increased significantly. You're suddenly getting the attention of the venture capital firms and the large private equity firms who are willing to invest. And so that's creating the innovation ecosystem. People are willing to now build product and hire great engineers, which can be leveraged in the broader ecosystem, in my view. I think the acquisitions that we made mainly were to acquire the talent. Yes, <laughs> More than talent than to acquire the product. In every case, I was pleased with the talent but we were not as successful integrating their products as we were integrating those outstanding employees who came over into our camp. I'm sure you'll have a better success than I did on that. But again, the days are different now. And used to be data was scarce, and now data is everywhere. And it's just big data. Yes. Very exciting, but a lot of spurious stuff can come from overanalyzing data. And looking for relationships that maybe aren't there, yeah, but are there for a moment, a past trend that looks solid, but is not necessarily the indication of a future trend. 
Correct. No, absolutely. I'm with you 100%. There's just a lot of opportunity in the industry right now. And uh, with that comes many options, no doubt, but you have to also make good decisions because you could get lost in the noise. It's important to also focus and figure out. And that's why I'm a big fan of just getting grounded on your mission as a company and centering everything that you want to do around that mission, having an eye towards the future, working backwards from that future, and then centering all your execution around that mission. But no, I'm with you. I noticed that you had an MBA from Booth. Yes. That's very prestigious. I don't have quite the equivalent of an MBA from Harvard, but I did do Harvard for many years. Actually, their YPO president program, where I'm in there with a bunch of presidents. Again, very much case method. And I'm guessing that Booth at University of Chicago is more about the tools. Yes. Yes. I'm wondering, can you compare and contrast that? Because every time I'd come back from my week up at Harvard with these brilliant professors and other presidents of companies, this great list of things we could try in in our medium-sized kind of company. But I imagine Booth was probably more structured than that. Yeah, very analytically heavy school. So the way Booth operates is everything is framework driven. You start a problem with here's a bunch of frameworks that could be used to solve a particular problem or a certain decision that you want to make. And then you test out those frameworks using case studies and real world examples and projects and some of that. But it's a very analytical framework first approach towards solving problems. And actually some companies really like that. So for example, when I was at Amazon, Amazon loved hiring from Booth because that's how they operate in general too. They're very engineering first, a technology first company. And even their MBAs, they want them to have the mindset of being more of an analytical thinker as opposed to a more, and due respect to Harvard or other business schools here, but a different approach of solving problems is a more analytical approach that Booth takes. But yeah, it's about tools and frameworks first. But that's your bent anyway. That's where you're coming from. It sounds like you're very structured. You're going to immediately figure out what's going to work and use some of the tools that have been successful for you in other situations. Oh, 100%. That's my general approach, not only as a booth MBA, but also just as an engineer (laughs) being, that's where I started off my career. So having a very structured approach, thinking in terms of frameworks, thinking in terms of just execution, milestone, effective decision-making frameworks is my way of operating as a whole. Sometimes I get some pushback for that as a leader saying, you should take some risks, but I'm the kind of person who needs to apply a framework and think through decisions before I go all in. And of course, with the amount of risk that's built in, no doubt about it. But by and large, that's my general approach is very framework thinking. 